This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thanks for joining me. Do appreciate your time in joining me. I know you could be listening to a lot of other shows, but you choose this one. So thank you. Thank you very much. All the people that donate to the show, I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's always great that people that decide to donate and see value in the show. So thank you very much. If you want to donate, you can go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, in the right-hand side bar, you will see the donate button. There's a range of different options. So that's up to you if you'd like to donate and think the show is worth donating to you. So thanks very much. Uh, today on the show, I've got Malcolm Roberts from One Nation. He's the Queensland Senator for One Nation. Now, Malcolm's not a gun guy. Uh, so I go through specific things with Malcolm, like appearance laws, firearms registries, you know, self-defense, and uh, it was a very, very interesting show. I want to say for all future shows from now on, doesn't matter whether it's this one, politicians that I interview, organizations, or just people on the Everyday Hunter series, the opinions that you hear in the show are those of the guest only at the time of the recording. They don't necessarily represent the views of the Australian Hunting Podcast. And my purpose of doing these shows, guys, is to get you the detail. Now, I think I know a little bit about firearms, maybe not a hell of a lot, but I know stuff about firearms. I've been on a lot of radio stations talking about firearms, and I don't like to sometimes weigh in on certain issues. And I've, I've actually thought about this in the past when I've interviewed previous politicians, uh, when I've interviewed previous guests on the show, about not trying to get you know, into discussion about things that I don't really know about. And when I give you these shows, what the purpose of is to give you the detail. So like when it comes to voting time, you are well informed of the, not only their firearms policy or what their thoughts are on firearms, but what their thoughts are on other particular issues, other policies, and how that would directly affect you. Now, a lot of people don't just vote for, you know, a party based on their firearms policy. Some people do, some people don't. Other people are interested in things like, you know, economics, immigration, a small business, having a job, earning money. So these are the biggest things that those people are interested, not necessarily firearms. So I just wanted to say that the opinions of the guests are theirs at the time of the recording of the show. And as I said, don't necessarily represent the views of the Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, it was a great show with Malcolm. I enjoyed having a chat with Malcolm, especially in regards to the firearms-related issues and what their points of view were, uh, especially things like self-defense, as I said, registration, appearance laws, suppressors. We speak about airsoft as well. So there's a lot of different stuff on this show, and I really, really do hope you enjoy it. Obviously, we have the WA election coming up this weekend at the time of releasing this show. The election is on the 11th of March, 2017. So obviously we have, you know, One Nation. We've got the Liberal Democrats. We've got Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. Uh, we've got an array of different pro-gun parties to vote for. Like I always say, I don't tell you who to vote for. It's really up to you guys to hear people, find out what their firearms policies are and who's going to best represent your interests in Parliament. So I hope you enjoy the show, guys. Without further ado, let's get into my interview. Queensland One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts. <laughs> This is Sav Manjan from the Foul Talkers, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Malcolm Roberts from One Nation, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I appreciate your time in being able to join me today. Thanks very much. You're welcome, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. I'm calling you from uh, Miles in, in uh, southwestern Queensland. 
Sounds interesting. I mean, have you been pretty busy at the moment? What's been happening with Malcolm Roberts? We have been busy, mate. We've had quite a few changes already. Uh, the Liberals have changed their policy on energy and uh, they've done a number of other changes. And And just last uh, last Thursday, we got a Senate Select Committee up on banking in the rural sector and we're going to be investigating the banks and holding them accountable for what they've been do- doing to small businesses and farmers around the country. And I'm going to be chair of that. So I don't know too much about banking, but I guess I'm about to learn, mate. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. First off, I want to find out who is Malcolm Roberts, I guess, where you grew up, um, you know, I guess your working life and uh, I guess how you started to basically get into politics. Sure. Um, I was born in India, um, have been an Australian citizen all my life, and uh, my mother was Australian and my father was Welsh. So I, I grew up an Australian citizen, um, am an Australian citizen now. I'm a single citizen. In other words, I'm, I'm a citizen only of Australia. The only passport I've ever had is Australian. Uh, so I'm very proud of being Australian. I've lived in America for five years, studied and worked there, travelled across all 50 states. Um, I've lived and worked in New Zealand. I lived the first seven years in India. And, yeah, that's about my background. I went to school in New South Wales and Queensland. And um, I did uni in New South Wales and Queensland. And then when I graduated, I decided I worked, I graduated as an engineer and decided I'd better go and learn something. So I worked as an underground coal miner for about three years, different parts of Australia, and then uh, went overseas to America, worked there for a while, travelled around all 50 states, came back broke, got a job over here in the coal mining industry, and then rose pretty quickly through management ranks. And then uh, after getting tired of the bean counters telling us what we should and shouldn't do, I did an MBA in University of Chicago, Came back to head up. I was going to. I had a few job offers over there, but I got poached back to Australia to head up a large uh, underground coal mine project, and then form my own business, helping people overseas and in Australia improve the way they ran their businesses. And then for the last nine years, mate, I've been working voluntarily on ending this climate fraud that's being perpetrated on us by the UN and by the Liberals and Nationals and Labor Party and especially the Greens. And then Pauline um, Hansen heard me speak a number of times, got in touch with a few people. Um, they told her what I was doing, and she asked me to write a policy about four years ago on energy and climate, which we've done and which the Liberals are now starting to copy. And, um, <laughs> and then, then she asked me to, to uh, stand up beside her on a forum in Gatton, and I did that. And then she came back to me a couple, uh, 12 months later and said, would I stand next to her in the Senate? And I said I would. And... So I'm not a politician, but I'm in politics now and uh, starting to like it because what we do is so easy in one nation. We just listen to people and then speak up. Absolutely. So there's no, there's no mucking around. You know, there's no what, what have we got to tell people and then justify it. We just say this is what the people are telling us and do it. Absolutely, mate. Do you remember your time growing up in India at all when you were young? No, my sister's got a really good memory of things in the past, but I tend to forget things even just a few years ago, you know. I, I tend to <laughs> let the past go and just look look towards the future and the present. <laughs> Was that your wife laughing in the background, is it? Or <laughs> No, no. Oh. That must be you, you echoing because I'm in a motel in Miles. Oh, okay. Where, Sorry. I thought your wife might have been in the back. I thought I heard a laugh then, but perhaps it's just me no, hearing no. things. It's getting a bit late here in no. New South Wales. <laughs> no, no. Uh, we're in... in Myself and another guy in, in our team, the Senate team, is um, in Miles, where we've just started going back out to uh, Charleville and then Nakandra, and uh, we'll be coming back through Kunnamulla and St. George and Dirrambandi because we started this. It was going to be a two-week trip, and I got crook at the end of the 
first week and had to be admitted to hospital in the emergency room in Charleville and came straight back, had an operation, and then now we're coming back out again. So uh, we, we just spend a lot of time listening to people because it's the best way to get a feel for what's happening. Absolutely, mate. What about your time in America? How did you enjoy that? I've been there quite a number of times myself, I think five, maybe six times, and I quite enjoyed it over there. Yeah, the first time I went over, Jason, I loved it. You know, I was only 25. Um, I had my eyes open in many ways, and I, I got to see that Australians are as good as, um, as Americans in many, many ways, better in some. I love the way that that country's history has developed. Uh, we've taken so much from America. But I tell you what, mate, I'm so sad to see. I, I married an American wife. We've been married 26 years, I think. Uh, yeah, 26. I better not say I think. Better get that one right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, it's just so it, – and her parents are American and, and she's been going back there every year or so. And you can just see the way that country deteriorated under Clinton and George W. Bush and uh, and especially Obama, you know, the – I'm just so happy to see Trump because he's he's just doing things again. But that America's just deteriorated so quickly. Absolutely, mate. As you know, Malcolm, there's a lot of disenfranchised groups in Australia, I guess, you know, um, gun owners being one of them. Uh, do you think Australia's sort of losing its sense of fun and identity as a nation? I mean, as you know, many things are banned or heavily regulated in Australia. A lot of my listeners tell me Australia's sort of becoming that nanny state, really. I mean, how does one nation, I guess, plan to tackle that particular issue? Well, I, I agree with you and, and what a lot of your mates are saying. Uh, we have become a nanny state. It's no longer um, okay in, in some people's eyes to speak the truth or to tell people what you really think. Uh, and that's what's giving us an edge, you know, it, with people because we do say the things that need to be said and we're starting to do the things that need to be done. And it's just so much easier. But the most destructive force in this country by far Jason is the Australian Greens. They're they're not only <laughs> agreed. <laughs> they're not only anti-environment. They, you know they slam farmers when farmers are the best people for protecting the land. They slam shooters. They slam fishers. They slam they slam just about everyone who doesn't agree with them. And their whole mentality is about controlling people. And one of the worst things they do is they smear those who disagree with them. And the reason they do that is it suppresses speech. It's, it, so if you if you know if you say something. And they smear you, and they get, and they got the media on their side. Then, then a lot of mates then just shut up, and and people in the same groups just shut up, and and that's what really annoys me because so many dangerous things are now flooding through under a cone of silence that the Greens have created. But what we do is the, my very first speech in Parliament, I called them out, um, and every almost every speech since then, I've either directly challenged them or indirectly challenged them, and you know the Nationals in the Senate and the Liberal Party. They would just come up to me and say, keep going, mate. You're doing really well. Keep calling out the Greens. And I'm thinking, you guys. But the reason is that the Liberals and the Nats are afraid of them stealing some of their votes and not getting their preferences. And the Labor Party, of course, is completely lost. They're, they're, they're being eaten up by the Greens. And the more they go the Greens way, the more they either lose voters to us or they lose voters to the Greens. So, I mean, it's just stupid. So it is really serious what's happening in this country is becoming a nanny state. That's destroying responsibility, which is really important with, with Pauline and with Pauline Hanson's One Nation, because without responsibility, mate, you don't have anything. Absolutely. It's interesting in WA too. I know they're preferencing, I think, One Nation in WA, the LMP, and sort of not preferencing. It's surprising they're not preferencing the Nationals. They've totally bypassed the Nationals in, in, in uh, response to going with One Nation. That's definitely interesting. 
Well, really, it, it is. It's a very big. And what's even more interesting, mate, is that John Howard, <laughs> who slammed the um, slammed Pauline and One Nation twenty years ago, he um, he's now going over there to help them help them uh, campaign, and he's also gone over there saying that that uh, the preference deal with One Nation is very important and the right thing to do. But, but I need to make it very clear that um, in the lower house in Western Australia, everyone still has the right to allocate their preferences. And, and going into a preference deal with the Liberals does not make us any way dependent upon the Liberals when we get into Parliament in Western Australia, because it's just about preferences. And that just it helps One Nation get people elected. It helps the Liberal Party make sure that they they don't lose too many votes. So but it, this is very important to understand. This will help One Nation enormously. So those people who don't like the Liberals don't think we're getting too close to them because we're not. We'll still be entirely independent with our members in the, in the uh, Western Australian Senate and lower house, still entirely One Nation. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Just I guess for people that don't know what One Nation actually stands for, what does One Nation actually stand for? Well, we stand for Australian values. We stand for honesty and integrity. We stand for competitive um, federalism, which is the way our constitution is supposed to work. We want to return back to to uh, the way our, uh, the constitution is designed to work. We stand for freedom, and we also stand for fairness. And we stand for um, putting Australia first. Absolutely, mate. Mate, you've got several members, uh, obviously, in Parliament already. Which state elections will you be contesting, I guess, over the next couple of years? Well, we're contesting the WA elections for, for a start. Um, we don't know when the Queensland election is, but we've already got over 30 candidates uh, come forward for Queensland. And depends when the, when the election is. We'll, we'll have a lot more if it's uh, in a few months. Um, we know that uh, in Tasmania, people are approaching us and Pauline wants to get organised in Tassie. Um, so that'll be on the cards and we intend to, to get enough people registered in Tassie and then stand in the partial Tasmanian Senate election, which I think is May. And we've got people lined up telling Pauline we've got to register in New South Wales. So that'll be the next one. And we've got a lot of people uh, wanting to register in Victoria. So that'll be the one after that. We've got a lot of people in South Australia saying that they want to vote for, for One Nation. So that I haven't heard Pauline talk about registering in South Australia yet, but I'm sure we will. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, that's right. There was a poll in one of the Victorian seats just released today. And... Uh, with no registration in the state and no candidates and no election coming up, we got something like high 20%, I think. That's just from memory. I can't remember the exact figure. So we know that people are asking us to, to set up in their state. But the other thing that's really important, Jason, is um, the, the the support for One Nation now is across across the whole spectrum. You know, it's... it's um, not just disenfranchised Liberal voters and National Party voters. I mean, a lot of people who used to vote Nationals are now uh, talking about voting us very strongly in Queensland. Um, a lot of Liberal people are dissatisfied that Liberals are talking about uh, us. Um, we also have a lot of our voters coming from traditional Labor voters, blue-collar workers who just want to protect Australia and have a fair go. And we've also got now, we've also got a lot of people in the profession, lawyers, surgeons, doctors um, coming to us because they, they can just see what you talked about very first up, the nanny state, the political the political correctness. They've had a gut for, mate, and they just want to get bring back Australia and they see us as the only ones who've got the guts to speak up. 
Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers, Australia-wide, and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Looking for a big weekend? Australia's biggest sport shooting and outdoor event, the SSAA Shot Expo, is now even bigger. With hunting gear and outdoor equipment from the world's biggest names, plus demonstrations, talks and entertainment for the whole family. Over 150 displays, one location, the SSAA Shot Expo. Melbourne Showgrounds, May 20th and 21st. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au for sponsors and the full program. I hear too. I don't know whether this is true or not. The 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 potential could be for the Queensland election to come up pretty soon, and I guess the numbers that I'm seeing are upwards of thirty percent for One Nation. I mean, does that surprise you, or, or does it just just make sense based on the current you know political climate? Well, it, you know, I'm not much of a um, not not much someone who gets into the polls because I don't know how polling works really. Um, so I don't know how representative it is. I don't know what sort of Sort of uh, polls across the state trans- translate into, into what number of seats, but we do know that when when we travel out in the regions and even now around Brisbane and the Gold Coast and Sunshine, especially the Sunshine Coast, the support is incredibly strong. You know, it used to be a few years ago you you just went quiet when when you mentioned One Nation because even if you voted for them, you didn't want to be seen to be voting for them. Now people are just talking openly about it. They're just flat out open. They're saying they've had a gut full of the main old parties, the establishment elites, and they just want something fresh to bring Australia back. And they know that they can trust us. Absolutely. Yep. Sorry, uh, I was going to say, what are the top, say, two or three things One Nation would like to achieve, I guess, while in Parliament, say, over the next couple of years? Number one is accountability in, in Parliament. And that might sound like it's something strange, but, mate, there is just so little accountability in federal Parliament where they've spent billions, tens of billions of dollars on this climate crap, and uh, and there's no cost-benefit analysis, there's no uh, hard scientific evidence behind it, and we've got the scientific evidence after nine years of studying it right around the world that there is no evidence that the, our industry is affecting or our agriculture is affecting global climate in any way at all, and we know it's impossible. The evidence actually shows it's impossible because it controls the, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is um, is the oceans because they contain 50 times more carbon dioxide and maybe 70 times more carbon dioxide than than is in the entire atmosphere and just slight changes in temperature in the ocean caused by the sun affect the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and even then what 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 we've seen is that the temperature changes in the in the atmosphere and on the ground before the changes in carbon dioxide occur so in other words what we've been told that the carbon dioxide 
change is due to us and that it is causing temperature change, that's rubbish because what the scientists have shown and the data shows is that the temperature change causes the carbon dioxide change because it affects the solubility of carbon dioxide in the oceans. And then that uh, is a result of what nature does, has got nothing to do with us. And you can even see it in the patterns in the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Our level of carbon dioxide is pretty much uniform during the year, the whole year. And yet in the southern hemisphere, the, the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, sorry, in the northern hemisphere, the level of carbon dioxide increases dramatically, decreases dramatically, all to do with the oceans and the um, and, wh and whether it's summer or winter up there, whether the crops and the trees are growing leaves or not. So we know we can't be affecting that. That's that's the first thing. But the reason we're doing that and we, we're focused so much or I'm focused so much on that is once we establish that that's rubbish, then what we have to then we, we've, what we've got is a very solid foundation for saying, OK, what else are we being lied to about? What about the banks? What about the UN that's destroying farmers' property rights? What about the laws that the UN is pushing through our parliament and through our bureaucrats and that our, our um, Liberal and Labor governments in the last 24 years, since 1992, have been tying money to states and, and local councils and saying that if you don't implement these policies, you won't get funds. So if you do implement the policies, you'll get funds. So it's just been legislation by stealth that's the UN legislation. So what we want to do is establish accountability, and we're already doing that. We want to then make sure that we've got uh, an inquiry into the banks, which we got last Thursday and which I'll be chairing. We're also going to be going on to family law. Pauline and I have had discussions that were started by Pauline with the High Court, um, the Chief Justice of the High Court, and, and Brian Burston from New South Wales was already in, also in on that. So that's a really important one, but that's one that we've got to work at very, very carefully but precisely, and uh, we're very encouraged with what the Chief Justice of the Family Law Court said last uh, week when we were in Canberra in a personal meeting. Um, we also want to pick up the freedom of speech so that people can't get fined or harassed in court because they call someone a name or tell the truth. Um, so that property rights, I guess the main things come back to number one is accountability. Number two is cost of living and energy prices there and regulations. Number three is, um, well, I just said it, regulations. That's red tape from bureaucratic legislation, the nanny state, green tape from this absolute crap that the Greens are peddling about um, about some of their environmental uh, claims. And number three is the blue tape, the stuff that's been rammed down our throats from the UN. Uh, and number four is property rights. Definitely. It was good to see. I think Pauline had a win just the other day, wasn't it, where they were trying to you know, compulsorily acquire someone's land, a farmer's land, so they could train. Was it the Singaporean or the Indonesian army? I mean, how ridiculous is that? You know, taking our farmer's land so another country can, you know, train uh, their army uh, on our land. I mean, surely there was put have been plenty of other places they could have put it on crown land or something or set something else aside instead of taking away our farmer's land. Yeah, and I've got to give credit to the, the uh, men and women in the um, Shoalwater Bay area and and also in central Queensland, Rocky, Marlborough, and also the guys at Charters Towers, because um, I was up in the far north Queensland on Cape York when um, listening to people up on the Cape, and I heard about the Charters Towers, Charters Towers uh, debacle with the Defence Department, and, um, and I swung down through there on the way back to Brizzy, and... Um, and, and just mate, the, just the way those guys, we gave them very little notice. They came down from Charters Towers to Townsville. Okay, it's not a long trip, but it is a trip. 
and we met with them in a room uh, in Townsville. Um, I took, a, took an advisor with me and we just asked them questions and we said, okay, bang, bang, bang. Uh, we've got two members of staff in Canberra. One's an ex-farmer who's been, who's been screwed on property rights. Another one is a former defence uh, employee who understands strategy. And he, he was a part of Bielke Peterson's um, nationals when they used to be the nationals. And, uh, and, and he understands just what Bielke did. We got those two. We said to the farmers, okay, mate, well, we just got their facts. We shot them down to our two um, staff in Canberra. And they then went to the parliamentary library, did some research. We also, uh, before we left Townsville, we left that meeting. We got in touch with Channel 7 and Channel 2 and, and the Townsville Bulletin, I think it was. Got the newspapers in there with the joint um, interviews with them. And, and what really impressed me, Jason, was that these farmers said, look, we're not just saying no. We're saying no to this land because this land is highly productive, got a lot of potential, it's irrigatable in the future with very little investment required. And they identified land that was for sale and that could be just as good as the army wanted. And, uh, and so they came up with a solution, they didn't just whinge. And then what happened was our staff in Canberra came back, gave me a briefing, put together some briefing notes for Pauline, a really good job. Pauline went up, there, up to uh, Charters Towers, raised hell and made it a national issue. And just last week, the um, Prime Minister, after a meeting with Pauline, said, OK, that deal, the uh, defence acquisition is off. So those farmers uh, and, and their families in uh, Charters Towers and in central Queensland around uh, Marlborough and Rocky can now sleep easy knowing their land will not be given to a foreign, foreign uh, power for their training. Absolutely, mate. Good stuff. Um, I want to talk about, uh, obviously, you've, you've travelled around a lot, and uh, I just want to know what your personal experience or exposure to firearms is. Do you have any friends, family? They hunt, shoot, fish. Are they firearms owners? Yeah, I, I've got uh, a few friends. Uh, some, are, some are just, you know, farmers that don't need the land, don't need the, the guns for anything other than their own defence or their, their, their protecting of their, their flock or um, their own property. Others are sporting shooters. I know quite a few sporting shooters. And um, now the thing that comes through is that uh, I've never seen evidence that a gun commits a crime. Never. I've never known anything that says a gun commits a crime. It's always human that commits a crime. And, and I, we've also got an economist in our team, um, in our Senate team, who do, does a lot of research. He's a full-blown economist. We're one of the very few senators that has an economist in our team. And uh, he's a joint American-Australian citizen. He was born in America. He's lived in Australia and studied in Australia and lived and studied in America. Really decent guy, knows his stuff, very solid. He's, he did research in America on gun laws for one of the think tanks that he worked with. And Jason, he said it, it's very, very clear, not only from his own work but from many people's work, that where you have strict legislation on guns, you have more crime, and where you have... Um, less regulation on guns, you have less crime. And he thinks it's because it develops responsibility and people know they know that people can defend themselves with guns. So I personally don't have a gun. I don't need a gun. I don't want a gun. But some of my mates use guns and some of my mates have told me also that in their experience, people with guns are generally more responsible and have better approach to guns. And so a big issue here really is is beyond guns it's about freedom versus control 
Because what happens in our society, Jason, as you know, people talk about left versus right, regressives versus conservatives, uh, and all the rest of it, unions versus companies, it's, it's rubbish. The real issue is control versus freedom. The Greens are in favour of control. The Labour Party is in favour of control, is in favour of control, rather. And the opposition, sorry, the, the opposite of that, of course, is freedom. And where you have freedom, you have greater responsibility and accountability. And so we've got to get away from this nanny, states, nanny state of trying to regulate things because you can regulate behaviours, but you can't regulate attitudes and you can't regulate feelings. And so, you know, they're now telling us what we can and can't say and what we can and can't think. This is, this is crap. And what we have to do is get back to reducing the number of laws so that people take responsibility and instead of the government chasing things, people are, are accountable themselves. And that is a far, far superior way to work. History shows that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you won't get any disagreements with uh, my, myself or my listeners on the Greens, that's for sure. I, I think anyone who <laughs> listens to my show is definitely not a fan of the Greens whatsoever. <laughs> um, what do you think? Uh, obviously, in 1996, obviously, you'd be aware of the um, Port Arthur massacre. Um, John Howard, knee-jerk reaction, uh, decided to take away you know, all our firearms, or most of them anyway that, uh, you know, again, many countries around the world still have that don't have, you know, mass shootings in New Zealand, Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, Czech Republic, as you even mentioned, certain states in the United States that have the highest amount of uh, 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 anti-gun laws uh, have the highest crime. I mean, what's your thoughts on the Howard gun laws? I mean, we saw the, and I looked in your mandatory sentencing speech too about the firearm that uh, you know, Martin Bryant used, you know, was handed into Victorian police some sometime before the event and, I mean, ended it back up on the streets. Do you think it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction or? Yes. I, you know, at the time, I didn't think too much of it, but I now know that it was the wrong thing to do. Um, yeah. But and yet so many of the people have been conned into thinking it wasn't necessary, but it's not. And and that's the way it is at the moment. But, you know, they're, they're now wanting to make, um, if like that legislation I spoke against last week, not only did it have mandatory sentencing in it, but the crime... Um, I think the crime for interstate trafficking of gun parts, so in other words, if you ordered a part via the internet, like a, what do you call it, um, a rifle pin, um, and that went across interstate borders, that's drug, uh, gun trafficking. And the minimum crime was, minimum penalty was five years and a maximum of up to 20. That's more than you get for rape. It's more than you get for armed theft, armed robbery. It's more than you get for... Um, Murder in some cases. I mean, this is just insane. And, and uh, the law around that is just ridiculous. And we voted against that. I spoke pretty strongly against it because it's just another nanny state thing. So, you know, just so many things are coming in under this kind of stuff. And, of course, the Greens got upset and, and, and tore into us again. But we just stand there and we just dish it back because we've got to expose the Greens. Absolutely. Now, I know the next one, I wanted to read something. I'm not sure if you knew about this one, but Pauline put out a um, media release that says, Pauline Hanson's One Nation is currently uh, reviewing its policy on gun laws. We no longer feel that saying the gun laws are adequate is accurate. A new policy will be released after stakeholders' consultation has been completed. So I know my next question, if I just go back to my questions here, um, giving us a rundown uh, of, uh, first off, I guess, can you give us a rundown of the role of firearms in the Australian culture? And I guess I know, you probably don't know any hints at the moment in regards to the kind of policy One Nation's yet going to put out, but I might throw a few things at you. Just, 
to, to, to help. Now, let's go for an example. Uh, registration will be a good one. Now, Australia, as you know, is one of the last countries in the world to still register firearms. Canada just abolished it several years ago. Uh, New Zealand back in the mid-80s because it was a waste of money. I mean, Stephen Harper, long-serving Prime Minister before Justin Trudeau, said uh, firearms registration is wasteful and ineffective. We will abolish it. And that's exactly what he did. So I guess that first one, registration of firearms, as you know, criminals don't register firearms. They don't get licenses. <laughs> um, what's your thought on, thoughts on firearms registration and spending hundreds of millions of dollars to regulate the people that are less likely to commit crime? Well, as soon as you mention the word registration, I think of the word tax. And that comes straight into my mind. And the taxation system is actually the number one priority for me. Uh, People know that I've been uh, really strong exposing the climate fraud, and you're going to see a lot more of that in the next coming weeks. But my biggest issue really is tax. And we have got to do something about tax in this country. It's crippling our industries. It's crippling our agriculture. It's crippling employment. You know... Jason, whenever you tax something, you reduce its use. So why the hell are we taxing payroll? And why the hell are we applying a PAYE tax, taxing salary and wage earners? Because if you want to get an increase in take-home pay, you've got to get a huge increase in gross income for uh, to be able to have the, the, the small increase in net take-home pay. And when you have a huge increase in, in gross income, it drives people out of work. It makes people employment unemployable. And so we're taxing employment directly and indirectly in this country through payroll tax and through PAYE tax. And that's just plain dumb. I had a, had a conversation with the head, the then head of this ACTU, uh, Dave Oliver. And I just I, I went around the room. We had a group of uh, three, three senior people from the ACTU and the CFMEU in our room. We were listening to them and Pauline and myself and one of Pauline's advisors. And I just said, what's the top priority item? And just a few minutes earlier, Dave Oliver said to me, you know, one of his priorities is to increase um, um, wages. I said, that's fair enough. And, uh, and, and he said one of his problems is, one of his biggest problems is casualization of the workforce, decreasing membership and compliance. And then we went around the room and, and I was the last one. I said, I'll tell you what I think is the biggest issue in this country. And I said to Dave Oliver, I looked him just square and just said, I think it's tax. And, and I said to him, mate, I understand you need to get a higher take-home pay for some of your members. But do you realise that because of the way the taxation system is structured, the more you increase pay without productivity benefits, the more you will drive unemployment and kill, and, and kill jobs? And it made his, his body language was such that he, he just went, oh, hell, you're right. You know what I mean? You could just tell from his body that he'd never thought of that before. Never thought of it. And... and uh, and I've talked to businessmen about it, and they're, think, they're saying, geez, of course, you're right. But this kind of issue goes back to our, our um, constitution. It goes back to what's right for industry. So what's happening is that governments are scrambling everywhere. And this is why it's taken a long while to get back to it, back to your question. But governments are scrambling for money everywhere. You can see it in their coal seam gas royalties. They're just running roughshod over farmers' property rights. You can see it in taxation. You can see it in regulations. You can see it in... in a registration, so they want everything registered, and they want to raise registration costs. Everything is a tax. The bloody um, the, the the cop on the side of the street pointing his radar gun at you. Everything, and these governments are out of control, and and they've got to give money to green groups. They've got to give money to people on middle class welfare who don't deserve welfare, 
and you've got an honest worker going to work. You've got an honest farmer. He can't afford to employ anyone. He's working from dawn till dusk and sometimes right through the night, just he and his wife running the machines, getting up, moving the pumps and the irrigation, moving the, the, uh, the pipes and irrigation in the middle of the night because that's when they've got to do it. And they can't afford to employ anyone. And the regulations are crippling them and, and even more why they can't afford. And so we've got people working their guts out Basically, just over half the population is working its guts out to keep the other half in welfare. And we've got now almost half the population has it, has, is receiving more welfare than they're paying taxes. You can't keep going this way. And registration is just yet another tax grab and yet another control grab. So it's control and tax. So this, we're spending about 500, I think, nationally. And it, it, yeah, it's all estimation, but three to $500 million a year. On, on registering firearms. So you definitely reckon that can go to something else, you know, schools, education. It could really go to anything better, couldn't it? Well, what we need to do, mate, is, is get more money back in the hands of the individual, the farmers, the workers, the, the small businessmen, the medium-sized business people, and get, get it back in the hands of mothers and fathers rather than the hands of bureaucrats. Because I can guarantee, Jason, I have never met you, but I can guarantee that you know better how to spend your money than anyone in Canberra. And it's a fact that Canberra's population has grown dramatically. It's the highest income group, um, you know, in terms of area anywhere in Australia. And, and some of those bureaucrats are on $700,000, $800,000 a year. The head of, Telstra, head of sorry, Australia Post is on $5 million bucks a year. Yep. And, and, you know, that's just insane. We're paying for that. And, and what does taxpayers? And what's happening is we're not getting value for money. And the, the guy in the street, he and his wife are paying for that. I want to talk about a couple of other ones here in regards to laws. Now, I'm a pretty passionate about self-defense. What's your thoughts on that one? I mean, even if we start off with, you know, pepper spray or we talk about at least firearms in the home or one of those two methods, I mean, to defend your family. Because I know, and especially the Americans are big on this too, but I find that too, you know, Malcolm Turnbull doesn't want me to defend my family, but is happy to have armed security himself, which is kind of is, it makes me very uneasy. So does, <laughs> does, does one nation support... Um, a people's right to you know, defend their family, their children, and those types of things. Yes, definitely. And you know, there was something that was on a one of one of President-elect Trump's websites earlier. Oh, sorry, late late last year before the election. And there was one of the comments that was in response to Trump's policy, and that comment said something like this: "I lock. I don't lock my house at night because I hate the people outside." I lock my house at night because I love the people inside. Now, that was a comment, and that comment alone got something like 77,000 likes. A comment, not a post, a comment. And, and so that's what I say to people as well. Um, I lock my home at night not because I hate the people outside but because I love the people inside. Governments has four fundamental responsibilities. Protect life. Sorry, three fundamental responsibilities. Protect life, protect property, and protect freedom. And the federal government should be focused on protecting borders, number one, because that's our sovereignty, defence forces, foreign affairs and excise duty, making sure that trade between states is fair. That's, they're the four main responsibilities that were given to it in the federal constitution. And you apply to your home where you're responsible for your home, your family, you have the right to defend your family. That's a fundamental right in human organisation. Just like protection of the family is a fundamental uh, structure in, in human civilization, and the nation state is a fundamental way of organizing hum, um, human civilization. Absolutely. You have an 
absolute right to defend your defi- defend your family and yourself. Let's say someone in Port. I'll give you an example. You probably don't know these firearms. You don't really have to, but it's cool. But it's fine. Um, there's like a Ruger Precision. So the New South Wales government here and the firearms registry says, well, this firearm it looks scary. The appearance laws. So if it looks scary or it looks like some sort of military weapon, even though it's a bolt action rifle, which you know 100% of shooters can own in this country, it's banned on appearance. I mean, these are the sort of laws that just don't make sense, and they're continuing it now with the draft recommendations of the national firearms agreement i mean what can we do about these stupid appearance laws like if it looks scary well i mean as you would know if someone's pointing a gun at you you don't really and it's illegal you don't really care you know what it looks like you just don't want someone a criminal pointing it at you so i mean these more stupid laws from this government it just doesn't make sense no mate um What's the name of that Adler shotgun, right? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know much about guns, but David Lanehome, to his credit, has shown the strength of character to stand up, and now he's getting support uh, for it beside him in, in the Senate. The Adler, and Brian Burston in particular in New South Wales, he knows his stuff about guns. Uh, Pauline's been well aware of farmers, uh, what they've been telling her for 20 years now, because she gets out and listen, and I'm starting to become educated. But David Lanehome, to his credit, he's... He, he tried to make a deal with the government about um, uh, a promise that they made to him with the Adler shotgun and support for some other legislation. Now, we don't like um, horse trading because it just it just um, makes a, a misery of all the legislation. You know, so we don't horse trade. We just say to the government, we like this or we don't like it. That's it. If you want us to vote for it, make these amendments. That's it. We don't say if we support this, will you support something else? We don't like that. But But OK, so let's. That's just the way David Lanehome approached this situation. He was one on his own, so let's just accept that. But he came to us and he said, do you realise the government reneged on that uh, promise passing the Adler seven-shot shotgun? So we were really annoyed with that. I told Matthias Corman that that was not acceptable because to deal with the crossbenchers, you have to keep your word. And he he knew that, but it was internal politics within the the coalition that, that someone stuffed something up there. So anyway... What what David Lanholm told me was that the five-shot Adler shotgun is acceptable in this country under the current gun laws. If you buy an attachment to it, you can then convert it to a seven-shot shotgun. Uh, but the seven-shot shotgun on its own is not legal. How does that make sense? Yep, two, ex- two extra shots. I mean, really, that's what the government's going on about, two extra shots. Yep, but you can buy, you can buy a, a five-shot shotgun, the standard Adler, and you can get a, a, a modification legally that makes it a seven-shot shotgun, but you can't buy the seven-shot shotgun. Unbelievable. I mean, this, is, this is how insane things are in this country. I'm surprised. I did. We did see a few. I think Bridget McKenzie was one of them, crossed the floor, and one of her colleagues as well to vote with you guys on that particular bill as well. Yeah, she's a shooter. Yep, very. And loves good. a shoot, loves a shooting. She's a, she's, she's a, yeah, I, I like Bridget. She's pretty good. <laughs> Interesting question too. In a lot of other countries around the world, yeah, the government likes to call it a silencer when it's not really the, the official name suppressor. Now, yeah, New Zealand, it's almost mandatory in parts of New Zealand. Uh, major in parts of uh, uh, the the UK, obviously, parts of Europe where these things are mandatory. Now, a lot of ranges. Um, when they try and get built, get shut down because you know it's too noisy. Yet the government won't it won't even allow us to stamp a serial number on it, and for shooters to have suppressors. So when we go to the range, 
uh, you know, it's a lot less noisy. Like people think when you put a silencer on there, like you turn into a, uh, you know, a hitman where, you know, no, there's no, there's no noise at all from those particular uh, uh, suppressors when in fact, you know, it's still very, very noisy. It just tr- drops that crack out of the, out of the gun. So I mean, would one nation support an introduction to those types of things for shooters, not only for hearing purposes, but, you know, also to get more ranges approved. I mean, it just makes sense when majority of the world is doing it. Well, it, it does make sense. I haven't gone into the, details of it and i try not to make comments about things jason until i understand the issue so i can't make comment on this one but it certainly from what you're saying it makes perfect sense to me yep absolutely one interesting question now it's a pretty easy one this one now john howard you know banned our firearms as you know i mean to me as you know the adler is a five shot lever action to me and people don't like when i say this because they think it's going to the government's going to come down hard again on them but there's no difference between a five shot lever action shotgun and a five shot pump action shotgun which john howard banned in 1996 i would personally like to see new zealand style laws here now people get freaked out over ar-15s they get freaked out over semi-automatic firearms all the countries around the world especially our closest neighbors you know that are very similar to australia so like i said new zealand canada sweden the czech republic those types of countries they have the lowest amounts of gun crime yet they have the firearms john howard took office i mean new zealand uh, i think it was uh, one of the police ministers but getting onto that separate topic would, would one nation support i mean introduction of, of shooters getting their rights back Yes. Um, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but I read or heard somewhere that uh, pump action shotguns have got no association, that no no data that shows any great association with a pump action shotgun and crime. Exactly. And the interesting part is people have said to me before, uh, when the Lint Cafe siege actually happened in Sydney, they said, well, imagine if he got his hands on one of these uh, Adler shotguns. I mean, he had a firearm which was banned in 1996, he was still able to get his hands on on that particular firearm. I mean, you know, they're, they're worried about a Category B firearm, which is the lowest, or, or Category A at the moment, lowest description of trouble, this firearm. It's not an issue whatsoever. And they said, but if he had an Adler, this would have happened. I'm like, well, he had one of the firearms, which was banned in 1996. But, I mean, that's not even the point. Five-shot lever, what's the difference? I'm levering it down as opposed to pumping it backwards and forwards. I mean, this is it's, it's just ridiculous how these laws have continued to stand um, in the last 20 years. I mean, and John Howard, he says, oh, I'm lauded across the world as my gun laws are the best. And I'm like, no one's saying that around the world because all the countries... <laughs> that, are very, that are very similar to Australia are actually moving away from things like firearms registration. Like, you know, I mean, Canada's very similar to Australia. For, uh, Stephen Harper, 12-year Prime Minister, said so we're getting rid of it. It's wasteful. It's, and, and said a very interesting thing, which I quote, this, has, this registry has not saved one single Canadian life. And all the anti-gunners, they all started freaking out. Crime's going to go up, etc. I mean, crime dropped by 8%. Uh, you know, with a firearm. So, I mean, yeah, it's not uh, what they say is going to happen. What actually happens is two different stories. Yeah, mate. And just think about the bigger picture here for a minute. And I know you're aware of it. Um, we, 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 we get called out, you and me and people like us get called out for espousing this basic human right to own a defense mechanism or to own a sporting weapon. So you, you can't talk about terrorists, known facts about terrorism, but you can talk about banning a metallic object that can't kill anything. What? What? You know that's that's the real issue that's going on here. They want to they want to call us names and and pillory us for doing those kinds of things. You and me 
And everyone who owns a gun, everyone who dares speak out about a gun, I don't even own a gun. If we talk about it, there's something wrong with us, something evil about us. But if we actually speak the facts about Islamic terrorists, we get called all kinds of names, racist, xenophobic, and this kind of stuff. And, and, and yet you dare to speak out about that, and you're called racist or xenophobic or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Malcolm. I saw an article, this was some time ago now, and uh, it, w- it was a big article in the paper when the Adler controversy was happening, and it says, gun nuts don't get to call the shots. Now, could you imagine if, um, you know, I wrote an article that says, oh, Islam nuts don't get, or sorry, Islamic nuts don't get to call the shots, or uh, whether you support gay marriage or not, you know, gay nutters don't get to call the shots. I mean, there'd be absolute huge public outrage why does it seem to be okay to vilify law-abiding gun owners who by generally definition are some of the most law-abiding people in society yet as soon as it happens to 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 gun owners oh that's okay that's acceptable yeah it's just again it comes back to what you started with jason nanny state and the way the media has been swayed by people like the greens less and less thinking going on and more and more labeling going on And that's what the issue is. What we've got to do is we've all got to speak up and all got to speak up strongly and and just support each other in in just telling the truth. That's all it is. And and when I can remember when um, Joe Bjorki-Peterson was uh, premier of of, uh, Queensland and I was working in the mines as a miner underground. I I traveled around different parts of, of, of New South Wales and Queensland and other states. And I worked in New South Wales and Queensland, from North Queensland, Central Queensland. I worked in, in the Ipswich fields then, um, that had underground mines. And I worked in the Hunter Valley, the lower Hunter Valley, Western District around Lithgow. And, you know, every six months I'd change jobs and I'd go somewhere else. And, and during, during I'd take a week or so off between those six months' jobs when I'd go to another district. And I'd go home to Queensland where Joe was Premier and stay with my parents for a week or so. Then I'd go back down to New South Wales and people would say, where are you from? And I'd say, Queensland. Oh, that's where Joe is, you know. And then they, a couple of the loudmouths would get into him and, and ridicule him. But, you know, they didn't say it, but the rest of the people in the group would come up later and say, I wish we had the bastard down here. You know, really quietly, wish we had Joe down here. And that's the thing. Joe said what he what was needed. He always took um, took defend Queensland very strongly. And whether you're Queensland or not, that's appreciated when your premier is that way. He got the business. He got the state moving business wise. He about every budget he delivered. It was a balanced budget um, and and had surpluses. And he invited big business to come in. He abolished ex- excise duties, death duties. And then people from other states flocked to Queensland to retire. That's what kicked the Gold Coast along. The guy was go-ahead and progressive, and he didn't worry what people think. And we've all got to have a bit more of that, you know, a bit more of who cares what people think, who cares what labels me, here's what I believe, say it clearly. And that's exactly why Pauline Hanson's One Nation does that. We've got to free up people, starting with things like the 18C legislation that, that wants to slam people for for opinion. We know it's got to start with everyone here. We've got to call out these people doing that. Stop buying the, the newspapers and the media that, that um, smashes free speech. Absolutely, mate. I've got an interesting one here. I know it probably will be a, obviously a state issue, but obviously if, if Queensland, One Nation has a major success in Queensland, we've got public land hunting here in New South Wales. Uh, there's a bit in the Northern Territory as well. South Australia, Victoria have really uh, prominent help from shooters going out there, controlling feral animals. Queensland seems to be unfortunately behind the times in opening up public land hunting for activities, you know, hunting, you know, shooting activities, you know, fishing, those types of things, camping even in some particular probably areas. 
would One Nation support the opening up of our Crown land so people can go back in and start enjoying in Crown land and the, and the benefit being removing feral animals that are you know decimating our native animals. Yeah, I can't see anything wrong with um, safely shooting feral animals especially. But you know, there's something else. I, I talked to um, fishermen in, in Townsville. Uh, I also talked with fishermen in Cairns and there's somewhere else. I uh, anyway, I'll come back to it later. But they were telling us in Townsville that what the state government is doing is they're pitting the the, the uh, recreational fishermen against the, the um, professional fishermen. And they're doing that to try and drop both. And, and they're, they're telling all kinds of um, nonsense about about fishing about fishing catches so that they can regulate even more tightly the catches and what people can and can't do and uh, and and that's one way that controlling even more things and that comes back again to the UN agenda 21 issue which was driven since 1992 by the UN and it's it's just a series of legislation to take control of national sovereignty off other countries and Australia is really suffering under that so it's not just uh, opening up of, of crown lands. It's not just opening up of fishing rights properly. It's it's also protection of industry because we have the largest fishing area in the world, um, according to many measurements. We've got the largest by far fishing area per um, per head of head of population. And mate, we've got the biggest island in the world. We've got rich barrier reef waters up, up near the equator in Papua New Guinea. We've got uh, teeming, wa- teeming wa- uh, seafood down in uh, the Antarctic cold waters. We've got all of this seafood and we've got a tiny population and we import almost three quarters of the seafood we eat. And where do we get it from? We get it from China, number one, we importer. And China's got the world's greatest population. It hasn't got a very big coastline. And then the number two importer is Thailand, which has got three times our population and a fraction of our coastline. And what the hell? We're, we're importing food from these countries and the United Nations is telling us that we have got to regulate our fishing. What is, what's going on? It means that, that it, we have more fishing going on in these heavily, heavily populated areas. Yep. Our country alone has 36% of the world's marine parks. That's more than one third of the whole world's marine parks. Because Tony Burke, when he was a liberal, when he was the Labor Party minister for the environment, Greg Hunt, when he was the Liberal Party minister for the environment, uh, Senator Robert Hill, when he was the Liberal Party um, uh, minister for the environment, these people have been putting on UN controls that are destroying our hunting and fishing. And what they're doing is they're pitting uh, recreational against um, against professional fishermen to try and stop that. It's yep. just wrong. It's interesting in uh, New South Wales, and I'm pretty sure Victoria, I'm not sure about other states, but, you know, many years ago they, they sold our rights back to us by Institute, and I've always been strong on this. A lot of people disagree with me, but a lot of agree with me too, that the uh, we got a fishing tax, well, you can call it a fishing licence, Malcolm, but that's a, as we know, it's a fishing tax, so the government, in essence, thinks they own the water, uh, they own the fish in it, and now I've got to pay a fishing tax to go fishing. A lot of people say it goes to uh, good, you know, things to, for recreational fishing, and that's true. But we've also seen it in the past, Malcolm, where they open up grants uh, to to people to get some of that money. And what we're seeing is we're seeing Greens types groups trying to get grants so they can give bogus data about fish stocks. So the government tries to lock us out of the water we're paying to use. I mean, c- can you believe it? Yeah, it's even worse than that, mate. It's institutionalised. What happens is they give money to um, to researchers to come up with 
research that fits the government agenda and climate so they can control our industry and our energy use. That's what it's all about. It's an energy tax. And they also give research to to people who are supposed to be marine biologists who say that, uh, you know, you need to regulate this and regulate that when it comes to fishing. But the reality is, mate, that the that, that sensible marine biologists, well-acclaimed marine biologists like uh, Walter Stark uh, and, and a physicist in uh, North Queensland, Peter, Peter Ridd, these people are speaking out. And Walter Stark is very, very strong marine biologist. He says that the Barrier Reef, for example, can, can sustain a catch of 1,500 kilograms of seafood per square kilometre per year. And you know what our actual take is? 0.9%, less than 1%, 0.9 kilograms, sorry, per square kilometre per year. That's 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 well under 1% of what it can do. And yet we've got fishermen who are leaving every year. They leave Townsville and Cairns and they go to the Gulf to fish and they come back. What good is that for family life? What good is that for personal health? What good is that for the Barrier Reef? It's no good at all. And, and it's just they're, they're basing this all on lies. The Murray-Darling Basin is the same. The, the, the plans they put in place there, the Murray-Darling Basin plan, is actually against the environment. But they've been feeding us crap. And we've been we've been accepting it. And then what they do is they dress it up as science and it's just rubbish. And so we swallow that. And what we've got to do is speak up more and more with the fact. Absolutely. I've got a couple, just a question here um, from Robert Walker on my page. Now, you might not know what Airsoft is. It's played by many, many countries around the world. It's basically similar to paintball. Uh, instead of shooting paint at each other, they shoot these little plastic balls at each other. Now, it's a huge sport in many countries. Uh, in Australia, the government, in their infinite wisdom, has banned Airsoft firearms or the sport of Airsoft, which a lot of people are trying to you know, open it up to bring it into the country. Uh, they've banned it. So I can own, for an example, I know you're not too familiar with firearms, but I can own, say, a 50 cal uh, sniper rifle, say, in New South Wales, which is fine, yet I can't play a game which has, which has fire. Well, if you, in most countries, they're classified as toys. But anyway, I can't have a a, a firearm that that shoots. I can't even get it out. That shoots plastic balls. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, I can own a actual firearm, like a three hundred eight, to go deer hunting, but I can't own a, a a toy which shoots plastic balls. I mean, can you believe it? And, and would One Nation support the introduction of that game into Australia? Based upon what you just said, we would support it. I, I know if it's a toy, why, yeah. not, why not? I mean, there's um, so many but, countries that play it. I mean, it's, it's it's very similar to paintball. I mean, even in paintball, Malcolm, you may not be aware of this. I mean, uh, paintball is classified. Uh, you've got to have a paintball marker, which is what it's called, in a safe, a gun safe. You've got to have a gun license. They think people are just going to start running out on the streets from cars and shooting people with paintball markers. I mean, it's just absurd. Can you own BB guns? You know what they are? Yeah, well, I mean, air rifles in Australia, again, uh, most countries around the world, 99% of them classify them as the toy, no registration required, same as New Zealand. In Australia, a air rifle or a BB gun, pea shooter, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, is classified in the same category, which is category A, as a shotgun. Jeez. I mean, can you believe it? it? Yeah, it's just freedom versus control. Um, You know, another thing, uh, we we have got in, in Queensland, we've got the Great Barrier Reef, an amazing living organism. You know, it, it stretches what I think it'd be at least twelve hundred miles. What's that in kilometres? Um, you know, eighteen hundred, whatever kilometres it is. And uh, the thing's beautiful. 
but it's not at all threatened. But what happens, what should happen in our state is that our government should report to their sovereign masters, who are the people of Queensland, on the state of the reef every year. So our government, who we employ to do the job, should be reporting to us, the people of Queensland, on the state of the barrier reef. What happens is the federal environment minister of this country goes to the United Nations, I think it's UNESCO, and reports on the health of the barrier reef to the United Nations, not to the people of Queensland, but to the United Nations. And then we get all in a fit because they may say that we need to do something about it. What the hell? Who's running this country? It's, it's our country. It's, as for, it's Australia for Australians. That's the top line in Pauline Hanson's One Nation page where we say what we stand for. Australia for Australians. What we've got at the moment is Australia for UN. Australia for global dictators. That's that's it. And we've got to stop that. So I guess you'd be happy with the uh, obviously obviously Trump being elected and also you'd be pretty happy with Brexit like my, like most of my listeners, I'm guessing. Very much, mate. In my first speech in Senate, I called for an Oz exit from the UN. <laughs> uh, just last week, our, we had a, 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 uh, an American called Edwin Black out here and he is campaigning in america to get out get the u.s out of the u.n to end the u.n altogether because oh i'll come back to why in a minute but um we he he was we were approached by a sydney cider who um who said would we uh, you know sponsor this this edwin black to make a presentation in parliament house and said we won't we will not only sponsor we will not only sponsor him getting a room in parliament house to speak to it we will join him and we were courted by us on a live stream event I think we had technical issues but uh we recorded the whole lot and i think it went live stream i can't remember um but you know at that he was saying shut down the un and replace it with an organization i, I say replace it with nothing but he's saying replace it with an organization of democratic states uh, in other words at the moment the un policies are dictated by countries like saudi arabia which have a very poor human rights issue um, warring uh, dictators in, in America, in South Africa, sorry, in Africa. And these undemocratic totalitarian states are controlling the vote in various issues in the UN, and we respond to them. We get lectured by people like, um, what is it now, Sudan, Yemeni, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, North Korea. We get lectured by them, for God's sake. What's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. I think you. I want to get your honest opinion on this one. A lot of people. This is one of my listeners. Obviously, I, a lot of people that listen to my show vote for a lot of different parties. That's hence why I'm having you on the show. Now, Wesley says one nation is no better than the Liberal Party. A lot of people have been saying, you know, the Lib, uh, one nation votes so much percentage with the Liberal Party. They're nothing like it. What What do you have to say to someone like Leslie when he makes that sort of statement? Well, Leslie, the um we- sorry, is- Wesley, I should say Wesley. Oh, Wesley. Wesley. Yep. Sorry, sorry I got oh, it wrong, Wesley. I think, first. Wesley. <laughs> okay, you're right. So, Wesley, the first thing is that whoever is the government party, they're the ones that introduce most of the legislation. The whole Senate and House of Representative systems are both governed by the – both led by the, um, by the government of the day. And the idea is the government is part of the executive. We have an executive arm. Uh, we have a legislative arm and we have the judicial arm and the government controls that legislation process and we either um, vote for it or against it or we propose an amendment. And the fact is that if the government is proposing decent legislation, we vote for it. And of course, we're going to vote if, if the Liberal Party 
um, puts good legislation in, we're going to vote for it rather than against it. And we work with the Labour Party, we work with the Liberal Party, we work with the Nationals, we even work with the Greens. We've uh, found one piece of legislation that we agree with on them. Um, and so we don't make decisions based on party, we make decisions based upon what's good for the country. That's the only criteria, what's good for Australians and for Australia. And the Labour Party, unfortunately, took them a while to work out just how honest and strong and straightforward we are. Then when they did wake up, they started working with us. Uh, we work with anyone who works for Australia. But the Labour Party also is is being very dishonest in the Senate because uh, in various election campaigns, they make promises to pass certain legislation if they get elected. When they find themselves in opposition, they've done it twice now, they then vote against the same policies that they were in favour of because they do it for politics. So all I can tell you is, Wesley, we don't vote against the government because we want to get our numbers of, of uh, uh, bills that we've opposed the government on so that it looks like we're opposing them. If they put up good legislation, we will vote for it and we'll do so honestly. And we don't care what people think. We will do what's right for Australia. Yeah, it's always interesting, just to finish off in a couple of minutes, it's always interesting. The, the Greens always point the finger about doing deals like with David Lionhelm on the Adler. Yet the... The Greens are so hypocritical. They're the they're the king of deals, aren't they? Like they talk about other people doing deals, yet they're the king of deals. It's amazing, really. Well, they're the king of hypocrites, mate. Because <laughs> exactly. what happens is they, they pretend to support women, and yet they uh, support Islamic immigration. They pretend to support homosexuals, yet they support um, homosexuals being killed in places like Saudi Arabia and other other Middle Eastern Islamic nations. What the hell is going on? How come people can't see through this? This is just so obvious. And yet the Greens say one thing and do another because ultimately the Greens are all about control. They want to control us with regulation. Almost every solution the Green has is raising taxes, raising taxes. They want to raise the price of energy. But, you know, South Australia is a basket case because it's at 47% renewable energy. We know that renewables are driving up the cost of energy. We know that the cost of energy is – energy is no longer a luxury, mate. Everyone needs electricity. Everyone needs petrol to get to work. And what happens is the Greens want to raise the cost of energy, which hurts the poor the most, those who can least afford it. So it becomes a higher percentage of their of – their, annual expenditure. So what that means is it's a highly regressive tax on the poor and the Greens want to continue doing that. And then they pretend that they're all for welfare. What they're doing is they're causing the need for welfare. They're causing the need for unemployment and their policies actually hurt the environment. It's a known fact that in 1826, Sydney celebrated its first street lamp network and those street lamps were powered by whale oil because that's how many people around the world powered their lighting at night by whale oil. We powered our cooking, we powered our industry uh, back then by burning timber forests. And then when coal came along and we learned especially how to generate it in very efficient uh, coal-fired power stations, we decreased the price of electricity dramatically. We made, uh, And then we got onto oil and we mobilised the place. Now we've got very cheap energy. And the whole reason we have now advanced materially as a society, as a civilization, is that energy has been cheap. We now have agriculture that's separated from nature. If we have a bad year, we don't have famines. If we have a cyclone or a tornado, we can protect ourselves better. We don't worry so much about storms, about droughts. And yet 
The Greens want us to go back and reverse all of that. They want us to, to increase energy prices artificially by applying bullshit subsidies to things. And that's destroying our country's agriculture, destroying our manufacturing, and it's now destroying our service industries as well because so many of them depend upon electricity. These Greens have got it wrong morally. They've got it wrong environmentally. So because what happens is when you have cheap energy, you have high productivity. When you have high productivity, you have high prosperity. When you have high prosperity, you can afford to protect the environment. You can afford to, to, uh, to fence off areas to national parks. And what happens, mate, is that the Greens are anti-environment. If you ever want to talk to me about that, I can talk all night about the Greens' <laughs> environment. I just want to read two things before we finish off. Now, this was during your mandatory sentencing speech, and you said the second issue is the obsessive, ongoing effort by enemies of freedom in this country to undermine the inalienable right of private citizens to possess firearms, of which this legislation is but the latest iteration. Throughout history, disarming citizens has always been a high priority for tyrants and totalitarian collectivists. Going the second one to that was one nation is absolutely opposed to efforts to undermine this crucial freedom. Unfortunately, it seems that fewer and fewer political parties share this view. So first off, I guess, thank you on behalf of gun owners for saying that. It's good to have the support of one nation and yourself on those particular issues. So I guess going on from that, can can firearms owners, and obviously I'm sure this is a discussion you'll probably have with Pauline sometime in the future, can shooters rely on One Nation's support when these things come up in the Senate? And obviously when the new uh, firearms policy is formed, can shooters in this country, some one million, rely on One Nation to have their support? Well, don't, don't uh, take note of what we say, take note of what we do, and take note of what I said and did in the Senate last week. That says it all. Absolutely. Mate, just to, to finish off, I'm just going to go back to my questions again. Um, I guess what can we expect from One Nation uh, in the future? You can expect more of, of us saying the things that need to be said and doing the things that need to be done. Um, right now, I'm on the start of a resumption of my Southwest listening trip because I'm going through the Southwest listening to people. In the, middle of, in, in the next break, uh, after the next sitting in Parliament, I'll be going into central Queensland most likely. Um, and then finishing off southeast Queensland, then we'll be going into northern Queensland, and then far north Queensland again in the in the uh, in the dry season up there in July. Uh, we'll continue listening uh, because that's the only way we can get a feel for what people really need. You can count on us to continue opposing regulation of people. Um, we're in our early days yet, mate. But what we want to do is start removing legislation, not adding to it. You can count on us, number one, to work on increasing accountability because that is the key we've got to get control of this federal government number two cost of living and really as part of accountability we've got to address the debt we've got to face up to um, middle class welfare we've got to um, balance the budget we've got to make sure that we fix our tax system we're going to be pushing a comprehensive review and re reform of our tax system that is the number one issue for this country so accountability first in those areas then excuse me, cost of living issues, they're crippling this country, they're crippling employment, they're crippling individual expenditure. Um, so we want to work on cost of living. Again, that comes back to um, taxes, it comes back to energy prices, it comes back to regulations, and we will be protecting and restoring farmers' property rights. That's a really big one with us. And the, the third one is security. That's economic security. Again, all the things I've just talked about to make sure we maintain our jobs and our industry and our farmers' property rights again. So 
these are the basic security issues, the basic economic issues, the basic cost of living issues, and it all comes back to accountability, and that's why we're going to keep speaking out. Fantastic. Uh, Malcolm Roberts, Senator for One Nation for Queensland, joins us here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Malcolm, I really do appreciate your time. Thanks for accommodating myself and my listeners, and uh, Godspeed in the future, and uh, I hope uh, we get massive support from One Nation in the future, and uh, good luck with your implementation of those policies. Thanks very much. Thank you, mate, and you will be getting support from us because what we're about is freedom. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.